Uh, we are uh, starting a new series today that I'm excited about. Um, I'm, not sure was, I'm not sure if it's that I'm excited about the new series or I'm excited that we're finally kind of taking a deep breath from the old series, which was uh, 40, right at 40 weeks um, we did. So if, if you're interested in the story, it was really fun, wasn't it? Um, the, uh, the story was great. It, we started it last October. And we finished last week, so it has been a marathon. All the sermons, except for two, so 40 sermons, 38 of them are online. Two of them didn't get recorded. 38 of them are online if you're interested in them. Um, I may not listen to them for a really long time, slash ever. Um, but uh, man, there, there's topics out there that we've really worked hard um, preparing. So if you've got family that's going through something, you've got a friend that's going through an issue, those kinds of things, go out, you can search the web um, and go, go to our website and kind of search the website and find what you're looking for, hopefully, there. Um, we are still going through the book of Revelation, which is the end of, of the story, um, on Wednesday nights, and this Wednesday night we will be meeting here at 5.30 instead of 6. So tell your friends, um, it is really a fun time, it's a good time. Um, gets a little intense at times with the book of Revelation, and I don't know how long we're going to keep doing it, um, I guess until, uh, as long as people keep showing up, and I've, I'm not out of town, and uh, the book of Revelation is still there, we're going to do it, and we'll decide what we'll do after that, but please join us here at 5.30 um, for that, it goes from 5.30 to about 7 o'clock. Uh, our new series today, um, kind of, uh, what I'm hoping it does is it, it leaps off of the story. Um, and if you've, been, if you've been here for a while and you've been going through the story with us, then you'll, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll kind of take this as, a, as the next step um, when it comes to the story. And as we get going today, I want to do what we always do on Sunday um, before we hear from God, and that's just pray together. Um, those of you who have had a rough week, I see some tired, tired people today. Um, I want to pray for you for some energy today. Um, I could use that as well, and then let's, um, let's just go to God this morning and see where he wants to take things. God, in the quiet of this room, would you bring some energy? Would you remind us of the hope we have in you? There are a lot of us in this room who have been have totally accepted what you have given us, who have dedicated our lives to live in the way you wanted us to, but have sort of lost the energy for it. God, I'm praying today that you would give us a newfound energy, that it would lead us to the peace that you promised passes all understanding today. Pray for those in this room who are doubting, those who have come in and are kicking the tires on faith, on you. God, would you give a deep breath to those who feel far from you today, whether it's because of mistakes they've made or just because they don't feel connected. God, would you give them a deep breath, a reminder? And God, we, I pray this morning that you would guide this talk, that everything that comes out of my mouth today would come through yours first, and that we would stagger away from here with a new understanding of connecting to you in your son's name. Amen. So I want to remind you, this, uh, this sermon is called 15 Minutes of Heaven, and you're going to find out why. Um, this actually, this sermon is going to set up um, where I would like to go next um, with, our, with our times together on Sunday mornings, and I'm hoping 
um, with your faith and your relationship with God. And, and this is one of those things that's hard to do as a preacher. I, I know that this is an hour on Sunday, um, two hours if, you're, if you come in the drive and you stay a little bit, and hopefully my sermon doesn't go too long. Um, and uh, it, maybe it's an hour and a half, two hours of your, of your week that happens here. And, and what, I, what I want you to know this morning is that that's not the way God intended for life to be done. He didn't intend for your connection to him to be on Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 11.30. By the time you eat at Steak and Shake on the way home and it becomes 2 o'clock, you're right back into work mode, into I'm in charge mode, and God matters only when things are bad or when Sunday comes around again. And I want you to know if you're living that way, first of all, you're not alone. Most of us live that way. Those um, in America who profess Jesus, those who say that they are Christians, most of them spend two to three hours a week total thinking about or doing something related to Christian activities. 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. And the average is about two to three hours total that we spend either thinking about or doing activities related to what we say we believe, what we say is the most important thing. And the truth is, it's just who we are right now, and a lot of us. And so what I'm going to try to do over the next, um, probably the next three weeks or so, is to, to bridge the gap between the story, what we've heard in the story of creation, um, from, from, Genesis to, from Genesis to Revelation, and from God's complete story of you and of, of mankind, and say, okay, so now how does that affect us? What does that do for my life, and how am I supposed to live between now and the time where Jesus comes back um, to get us? And I want to remind you, if I can, um, where we ended with the story of Revelation. Um, those of you who are studying with us on Wednesday, um, probably, if, if you're like me, it's kind of hard to get out of your head, um, some of it. I hope it is. I've been praying for that in you. But I want to read this piece of Scripture to remind you of the goal of everything that you're going through right now and every, all the things that are happening um, last night I was uh, in the garage working on some stuff around the house, and I was building a new headboard for our bed, and Reese is, uh, was in the garage with me, and, and we, were, we were talking, and I had the headboard flipped over, and I'm putting some electrical in the back of it, and I'm doing some things, and, and it was completely unrecognizable. I mean, he, I, as bad as I am with that kind of stuff, it may be unrecognizable by the time I'm done with it. <laughs> but when he came into the garage, it was completely unrecognizable. It was upside down. Everything was hanging underneath, and he couldn't really tell what it was. And He said, Dad, what is that thing? I said, well, it's going to be a new headboard for, for the bed. And he said, he's just, sometimes he says the funniest things for a five-year-old. He said, I just don't see it. <laughs> and he kind of walked away and got on his bike and, and rode away. And, and the truth is, it's it's kind of the way it is with our faith sometimes, isn't it? We look at our life, we come and we hear a preacher say that this matters, that the stuff you're going through right now matters, that, that hope is real, that heaven is real, that God has a plan for your life, and you go, right now it's pretty unrecognizable. And some of you today walk away every time you hear the word God. Every time you see a Bible, every time there is a faith thing mentioned, you walk away and you think the way Reese thinks. I just don't see it. I don't blame you. The truth is it's not yours to see. God's plan, God's making the headboard. He has a plan. Thank goodness he's better than I am at the plan and creating it and finishing it all up. 
And when, in the end, what he's asked us to do is trust him. And that's a hard thing to do. But here's the thing about God and the way that we have read the story. And those of you who have been through this story, it feels like it's been a journey. And I'm hoping you've come out on the other side with a few different things. One of those things is that God just, he doesn't do what I did to Reese. He doesn't say, and this is what I said to Reese, go ride your bike and when, you're done, and when I'm all done, I'll show you. He, God goes, you know what? You, I got it. I'll take care of the plan. It's okay if you don't see the plan for your life. It's okay if it looks like a mess to you right now. But as you go through your life, if you continue to pursue me, if you continue to push towards me, if you continue to work at getting closer to me, you'll have these glimpses. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, we even use a phrase, these little glimpses that come on our house in our lives. We say it's like heaven, don't we? Said, how, was, how was the park with your kids this week? Oh man, we, there was like this hour, it was like heaven. You know? Oh, how about, how was your grandma's pie? Oh, her pie is like heaven. The truth is, I believe that is exactly right. I believe it comes out of our mouth and it comes from God, that he gives us these little glimpses of heaven in our lives. And as we get them, the tendency is for us to just hang on to them real quick and then they go away. And we hang on to them real quick and then they go away. And what the Bible tells us, and this is what we're going to do over the next few weeks together, the Bible says that you don't have to wait for those to come randomly in your life. Now, for me in my life, the, the older I get, the more I, I, I kind of hang on to those moments of peace from time. Truthfully, the moment in the garage with Reese yesterday was one of those times, you know, the, everything's kind of, bill collectors aren't calling, it's Sunday, you know, and um, everything's kind of just calmed down, uh, Reese is kind of out, and the kids are playing, and everybody's home, everything's safe, and it just kind of, ah, there's a good moment there, and in a couple hours, somebody will get in a fight in the house, and the dog will poop on the floor, and everything starts going crazy again, and from one moment of peace to the next, I'm almost jumping like lily pads, and God says, that if you do life the way he intends for you to do life, you don't have to wait for those times to come randomly. That you can actually pray for them, you can actually move towards them, and you can actually live in a different condition while you're on earth. There was a sense when I was growing up, and it's still out there. I don't think it's as prevalent now, especially around me, but there was a sense that what Christians were mostly supposed to do, and if you're visiting with us today and you're not a Christian, you're kind of kicking the tires on this, you may have heard this, that what we do is when we accept Jesus, we accept him and then we just hang out and wait till we die and go to heaven. And that things on earth are just pretty much hell until it's time for heaven. But God, that is not the picture for those of us who have chosen Jesus. The picture is that right now we can begin to bring heaven to earth, just little pieces at a time. And if you've been reading Revelation, you know that heaven is not somewhere in the clouds in the long run in the, it, for, for eternity when God's plan is complete. Heaven is not somewhere in the clouds. It's not me plucking a harp for eternity. It's here on earth. My feet will physically be on the ground for eternity. We'll, we'll get to do things. We'll get to be what we've wanted to be. That sense of peace will never go away. I won't have to hop from one sense of peace to the next. And it's all pictured here in Revelation 21. I want to start today with this in mind. This is our end goal. This is where God wants us to be. And the truth is, this is what he has been working the entire plan towards. This picture. This is the end of your Bible, the end of the story. And here's the cool thing about God. Because he can see what the end looks like right now, he stands outside of time. He can see the end of time. He can also take little pieces of the way things are supposed to be and interject them into your life to give you these, ah, these kind of deep breaths and these hopes. And that's what I'm praying for you today. And here's what he says. 
the, the writer of Revelation says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. Now, God's home being among his people is something we have never really experienced physically. From the beginning of time, every time um, God wanted to be with people, there had to be a tabernacle built or a temple built of some sort. Now, as a, as a Christian, because of the blood of Jesus, we've been told that the Spirit of God lives actually in us. We become the temple. Now, the cool thing about that is that we've got part of God in us, but the physical part of God, the touchable, tangible, look God square in the eyes, has not happened yet. But the goal is, and the picture is, that God wants to be where you are physically. One day, when this picture comes through, when this happens, one day there will be no more. Well, I wonder if God is real. I wonder if he cares. I wonder if he's, it will be looking him face to face. That's his goal. And when that happens, there is a sense of perspective and peace that comes. And we get little glimpses about it while we're on earth. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You know, the writer could have just stopped with saying there were no more tears, there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain. But then he, he pauses and he says, let me reiterate. There, all these things are gone forever. The thing about heaven is I don't know a whole lot about it. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what heaven is. But it does tell us a lot about what heaven is not. And I am almost more excited because I really have this picture of heaven that I don't know how much of it is even real in my head. It's just better than I could ever imagine or picture. But I'm really excited about the things that won't be in heaven. Calories. <laughs> there will be no more reading the back of the box of the Twinkies and feeling guilty before I pound seven of them. There, there will be no more waking up in the morning with achy bones there will be no more arguments there will be no more awkward phone conversations there will be no more cell phone ringing looking at the 800 number and going i think that's a bill collector no more no more and the one sitting on the throne said look i'm making everything new you know what he didn't say i'm making all new things I love this about this story. It's a very subtle thing. And if you're asleep this morning, you'll completely miss it. So wake up for a second, because this is huge. In the end, God did not say that he is going to make all new things. He's not going to wipe everything from the face of the earth. He's not going to wipe you completely. He's not going to wipe your soul and start over. He's not going to wipe everything completely from the face of the earth. He said he's going to take all the things that have ever been made because he loves them desperately and wouldn't completely annihilate them and start over. He's going to take them all and make them new again. It's redemption. It's the part of God that I love the most. And the older I get, the more I see it. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all the blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the goal. And here's the promise of God. 
that right now you've inherited this. We've been talking about this on Wednesdays. If you have doubts about this, you have questions about this, please come on Wednesday nights. We are digging deep, aren't we? Like one sentence at a time kind of deep through Revelation. It's a little painstaking, but fun. And as we go through it, what we're finding out about God is that he intends for you to get a glimpse of the end of the story so that you can use that glimpse to bring you hope and for you to bring things already on earth to start preparing them for that. You know, when I'm watching a movie, I'm man enough to admit this this morning. When I'm watching a movie or a commercial even, there are moments where I get this welled up feeling in me. And, and I'll, yeah, I'll admit it. Don't look at me like that. A tear comes out. And I remember watching my dad sit on the couch 10 years ago and a Hallmark commercial would come on. And I'd look over at him and he'd go... <laughs> After the commercial, I go, what is wrong with him? I know what's wrong with him now. It's in me. And the truth is, the closer I get to God, the more I get to God, the more closer I get to my kids, the more I have to jump leap to those moments of peace, the more when I see something being made new, when I see something that feels right, when I see something that makes sense and it feels like God, it brings me to a different place. Do you know what I'm saying? When that happens in your life, embrace it. Find it. Don't hide it. Be man enough to show that heaven is in you. Be man enough to know that there is a God in you that is coming out of you at that moment. And you celebrate it. You hang on to it. Rick Finney is the biggest crybaby I've ever known in my life. He's also a very large man, and it scares me to say that. I'm not sure I know very many people that are as close to God, and I think there's a relationship between the two. I think when you feel inside, he's going to cry right now. He knows it. It's not him. It's not an emotion. It's not inherited. It's not hereditary. It's not, and many of you have this too, and, and it's coming in me. And I used, to, I used to deny it. I used to push it back. But the truth is, the, I want it in my life. I want to feel that. I want my kids to feel that. The closer you get to God, the, the closer you start to feel the way things are supposed to be. And when something comes up that way, when the baby is born finally, Mackenzie, 21 inches long. Eight, eight pounds, 14 ounces. That's a keeper. I think London was 8.15 and 21 inches. So right at London size, and she was a big old baby. I love it. If, if, if something in you, and this is straight from me to you today. This is not from the Bible. This is from me to you. If you can watch a baby be born, a baby that you love desperately already from somebody that you love desperately already, if you can watch a baby in a mother's arm be born and not be welled up with hope and peace just for a second, you need to look at where your life's headed. Because the truth is, that little piece is just a piece of heaven, and it's a piece of this hope and God making all things new. Next slide, i got to get moving. God says this. He says that in the midst of this whole mess, and in the midst of what we call life, he has a plan. And here's the thing about it. I love this. If you've ever read this piece, read this piece of scripture, then this won't be too big a surprise to you. But many of you may haven't. This is something you should write down if, if, if you haven't read this. Proverbs chapter 16, 9 says this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. This is from the creator of the universe. You can make your plans. You can make your plans, 
This is my illustration about being on an airplane. I can make my plans. I can say, I'm going to fly from Indianapolis to Detroit today. And if the pilot decides I'm not, I'm not. Now, if everything goes according to my plan, I'll be in Detroit. But if the pilot doesn't want it to go that way, it won't go that way. Here's what Proverbs says. You can make your plans to go to Detroit. But if God says you ain't going to Detroit, guess who ain't going to Detroit? Because he's the pilot. And Proverbs says this. He says, I I love this about him. The idea is that God determines our steps, not just our plans, not just our path, but our very specific steps. See, the great thing about God as he is the hero of the story, is that God is clear that nothing is too big for him. We know that, right? Did you know that right now, if you, if you think you're lazy or that you're not, you don't ever get anything done, do you know that right now you're going somewhere around, uh, I think, 1,000 miles an hour? Is that right? Spinning? Somewhere around 1,000 miles an hour on the earth. Doesn't feel like it, does it? And then the earth is spinning, I think it's 65,000 miles an hour, around the sun. We are flying through space. So if you didn't th- don't think you've done anything today, 1.5 million miles by the end of the day through space you've traveled. That's a pretty good day. But guess who's keeping all that working? God. He takes care of the big things. We know that. Many of us trust that. I doubt you got up this morning and went, oh my goodness, God, please keep the earth spinning today. I mean, how many of you got up this morning and went, oh, please let the sun still stay in the center of the solar system or we will die. Now, maybe the geeks in our room, yeah, I know, but very few of us pray those kinds of prayers. Very few of us worry about those kinds of things. The truth is God takes care of those big things, but the cool thing about God is, according to Proverbs, is not just the plans, not just the big things, but there's nothing too small for him either. And that's where I want to go with this series. He wants us to stay connected. As I've been praying through um, where to go next with, this, with the preaching schedule and where we're going, First um, Thessalonians has been really in my mind. Um, he says this, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Paul, warn those who are idle and disruptive. I've been praying a lot about where I should go with, with this next series. And, and what I do is I sit down, and this is kind of funny, but I sit down and I say, God, I, I really have no idea where you want me to go. So lead me to an email, a Facebook message. That's why I always ask you, send me emails and Facebook messages. I'm not promising it'll be in my next sermon series, but what I ask God is to use those emails and Facebook messages and to use the books that I'm reading, to use all the things that i got going on right now to lead me to the right thing. This is where I believe he's led me. Now, I don't, it's not written in my shower in the morning. I don't see it on a wall. That would freak me out, and God knows that. I don't, that's not the way God works with my relationship with him. But I get unmistakable movements towards something. And 1 Thessalonians keeps coming up. Every book I read, it seems like this comes up. I watch a television commercial, and there'll be a word that I've been studying, and it just kind of hits me. I think this is from God. And this is what I read this week. For those of you who are members of the church here, spend a lot of time here, um, this is specifically for you. I believe God. this is where God wants us to go next. If you're not, you'll get to see where we're going. Check this out. Paul says this. He's talking to a church in a place called Thessalonica. And he says this, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. It's not fun, but that's part of what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks. Encourage the disheartened. Okay, I can do that. Help the weak. I'd like for my whole life to be about that. Be patient with everyone. 
Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. That's pretty specific, isn't it? We got it going on right here in our church. You did that to me, I do this to you. That's the attitude. I've seen it, I hear it. I'm going to be preaching about it. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I've been saying, God, what's your will? <laughs> what's your will for our church? What's the next thing? And this is where he leads me. I think that's a no-brainer. This is where we're headed. This is where I'd like to take us for the next, probably next couple months, to, to kind of kind of trudge through this piece of scripture and say, this is who God wants us to be as a church and as individual people. And as we do that, I, I want you to remind you that what God wants to do with you as we go through this stuff is not for you to, to just manage. You know, that's what we, we say to each other in the, on Sunday mornings, don't we? How you doing? I'm managing. How you doing? I'm making it. And we're honest with each other. I mean, that's what I love. When I first got here, um, and most churches that we'll meet this morning, you say, how you doing? And there's a big cheesy smile. I'm doing great. No, you're not. Your life's falling apart. We all live close to each other. We all know it. Don't ask if you don't want to know. We don't do that much around here anymore. Now you say, how you doing? You better, you better be ready for a response. But usually the response is, I'm making it. It's okay. You know what? Here's the promise of God. It's not his intent for you. His intent for you is not to make it, to trudge through. His intent for you is not to hold out until heaven. His intent for you is amazing things. And the only way to get to those, if you, in your life, if you don't pursue God, you will not drift into amazing things. It will not happen. If you wake up on Saturday morning and you lay on your couch and watch TV and then at the end of the day go, why didn't anything amazing happen to me today? I'm going to let you know, you will not drift into the amazing things that God has for you. It's hard. It, it takes some energy. It takes some time. It takes some resources. It takes some patience. And I, I, I think we have a recipe for it this morning. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. I love this piece of scripture. Joshua is leading the Israelites across, um, across the desert, basically, and he comes up to a river, and he's supposed to go to the other side, and he comes up to this river, and he's like, all right, well, this must mean that God wants us to go in a different direction, because there's a river here, and how we get across it? And so he starts thinking about, should I go in a different direction? And he prays to God, and God's like, nope, go straight through there. Like, well, I mean, we're talking about a river, God. We got babies to take. We got cattle and stuff. How we get across this river? And the first inclination is to go, I guess we got to build a boat. Or I guess we need to build a bridge. But Joshua says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and see where God leads us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move myself. I'm going to do something different. I'm, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to move in prayer. And here's what, he's, here's what he tells the people. He tells them after he's prayed, he, he's, he's, he's moved to do what's the next right thing. He tells the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do kind of okay things for you. No. He doesn't say, for tomorrow, if you consecrate yourself, tomorrow the Lord will get you through. No, he says tomorrow. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Write this down somewhere. Put it in lipstick on your mirror. Do something in your life so you hear this. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow. 
yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, at this point in history, this is a Wednesday, a Wednesday Bible study kind of an issue, but I want you to understand the word consecrate this morning because it's a word we don't use. You didn't hear that in the office this week, be my guess. Um, the word consecrate is an Old Testament word. You won't find it in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament word because when Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, he became the consecration for us, okay? So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't consecrate yourself anymore the way it used to be. The way it used to be is that the word consecration meant you had to clean yourself. You had to literally sometimes had to go into to water and clean your clothes and clean your hands and clean off yourself so that you could go before God. Now what the Bible says is Jesus, once and for all, his sacrifice for us consecrated us, those who accepted him, and we are clean in the eyes of God. We are consecrated. Now, the word has some sort of a meaning in the New Testament when the Bible talks about getting ready so that God can use us and God can move us to something. The word is not consecrate. It's more like prepare. It's more like dedicate. Dedicate yourself. Which means, in the New Testament, it means like invest our time and energy and resources. Now, I'll tell you, I say things like that a lot. You probably heard preachers say things like that a lot. And as I was preparing this sermon, I got through the end of it, and I read Thessalonians again. I went, no, this is not where I want to be. So I decided to get real specific about this, okay? And if you're a member here at the church and you've been going through this stuff with me, this won't surprise you at all. I'm going to get real specific today about what God means for this, and I'm going to challenge you with something real specific. So it's only going to, it's about five minutes from now, so start finding a pen and a pencil, okay? If you're a member here, if you want to move to the next thing, because I'm going to ask you to write some things down. So what God has asked us to do is, if we want amazing things, somebody wake up and tell me, do you want an amazing thing in your life? Or do you just want to trudge through? Because your neighbors are trudging through. Those who are far from God, those who have not chosen Jesus are trudging through. Your call is not to trudge through. It's to be a part of amazing things. And there is a path to it. And it always starts with dedicating yourselves. And the, the Bible talks about dedicating ourselves in terms of prayer. And I, as I talk to people, in fact, I said this morning, a couple people said, hey, our sermon series is over. Where are we going next? What are we doing next? And I said, we're, we're going to prayer. And everybody went, Yay. Because it's not the story, is it? It's not evangelism. It's not, it, does, it, it feels like something I should already be doing. And the truth is, there's a few reasons people don't pray. And what I would like to do at the end of this series, and maybe this series is going to take a while, because until I feel like we're on the same page and we're moving in the direction of prayer, I'm going to keep going. Um, and I, 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 because I believe that right now in the life of our church, whether you're a leader, whether you're visiting with us, whether you're, um, whatever you're doing, if you're listening online, what God wants most from his church, not just new life, but the church global is prayer. He wants to mobilize the saints. He wants us to spend our time, energy, resources, starting with praying to him. And if you're here today and prayer doesn't make sense to you. There's, all, there's a few reasons that it might be. One is this. The people who don't pray, there's a lot of reasons people don't pray. And one is this. They don't really believe God will do what he says he'll do. It's just a waste of time. So you end up doing it as a last resort. If all else fails, I'll pray. Now, some of you in this room who aren't praying right now and aren't, aren't seeing it as part of your life, 
Maybe believe that God is somewhere, but you really think he just doesn't care necessarily about you. That he spun the world, and then now he just watches it and looks down and watches you like an ant farm. I've got to be honest with you today. I think there, is a, there are a lot of us in this room, Christian people who have been following Jesus for a long time, who in your heart of hearts believe that in the long run your prayers don't matter. In the long run, God's going to do what God wants to do. Because in our minds, God already has it all planned out anyway, right? And if God already has it all planned out anyway, then what's my little prayer offered up to him going to do? And the truth is, we don't understand the way prayer works completely. Because we think so, uh, so finite and so human. But the truth is, the way the Bible talks about it is that prayer moves the hand of God. If you've got something going on in your life right now, if you've got a kid who's out of control, some of you do. Some of you don't know it, and you do. Most of you know it. Some of you've got a husband or wife who you feel further and further from as the days go by. Some of you have a money problem that looks like it's going to end really bad at some point. Some of you have got a relationship issue in your life or a social situation in your life that just seems like it's not ever going to fix. And all you do is read books about it, you talk to people about it, you gossip about it, and you go home at night and think, I hope something happens. According to the Bible, God looks at you and goes, come to me. Stop and come to me. Now, there are a lot of us in this space that believe that God will do what he says he'll do. We've had experience with it. We know that God will do what he says he'll do. There are some of us in this space that believe that God cares for us desperately and that he, wants, he does guide our steps and not just the big picture but the small picture, not just the path but the actual steps, that God is that involved in who we are, that he wants to be aware. But we have created a habit in our life of doing life without God. It's become just part of who we are to do life without God. We say we love God. We say we want to be here on Sundays. We say we're part of the church, but we do on a regular basis life without God. Reminds me of a friend of mine in college. I went home with him for for a weekend one time. I'll never forget this guy. His dad was the grumpiest, meanest old man I've ever met in my life, and that's saying a lot. I've met some grumpy people. I've never met a grumpier old man than this guy. We came in the house, and he said, Dad, this is my friend John from college. He said, He's not sleeping in the guest room. I just made the bed. Good to meet you too, sir. I, I ended up sleeping in the garage that night, literally, on a, on a, with, his, with my friend. It was very strange. But we walked into the house. We sat down. We, and we sat down on the couch. His dad was watching TV. And he had a, an older television, but it, was, it had a remote control sitting there next to it. Now, this is a long time ago, and I'm getting older. It was a big old fat remote that was about this thick. You remember those things? And it was sitting next to him. All it did was change the channel up and down and volume. And that's all it did. But it was sitting right next to him on the coffee table. And he would hit there. And when a show would come on that he didn't want or a commercial, he'd go, Bruh. And he'd stand up. He'd walk to the television and hit the channel button until he got where he wanted. And then he'd sit back down. <sighs> and then he'd do it again. Bruh. Go back up. I bet he did it 15 times in the 10 minutes I was watching. Just stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, hit those things. And I kept looking at him, and I looked at the remote. I look at him, and he was one of those guys that's just old and cranky, and like every time he'd get up, his knees would pop, and his things would start popping and cracking, and I was afraid he was going to fall. And finally, I wasn't going to say anything to him about it. He scared me to death. But we got outside, and I said, does, does your dad not know that your TV has a remote? 
He said he does, and if I say something to him about it, he'll use it for five or ten minutes, and then he completely forgets. He spent so much of his life standing up and changing the channel that he forgets that there's an easier way. And I tell you that story this morning because I think you are the grumpy old man on the couch. I become the grumpy old man on the couch who has a remote control in front of him, who God has said there is an easier way to do your life. There is a better way to do this. And we keep standing up and going to the TV to change the channel. We keep trying to do it ourselves. We keep doing it like there isn't a God who is desperately in love with you, who has made a promise to you that you don't have to do life alone, and who has said, all the power I have is in you. And you're still getting up in the morning just in time to get to work. Just in time to do life by yourself. Just in time to fight your battle without the creator of the universe at your back. What I'm hoping you get from today and over these next few weeks is to remind you, and that's why I want to tell you the story of the remote control. When you get up in the morning and you do a day like that, and at the end of the day you lay in your bed and you go, I can't believe how weird and awful that day was. I want you to remember the old man on the couch without the remote. That you don't have to live like this. That you can live with the power of a risen Savior in you and among you at any time. Some of us just have the wrong idea about prayer. And I am praying with everything I have that I can be a part of changing your mind about it. Because truthfully, the reason I'm preaching this series, I think God led me here, but the reason that's in my heart is because I see so many of you who are broken. Those who have... I've, some of you, I've, I helped in that water, baptized you. I claimed the blood of Jesus over you. I've prayed with you in that back room. I've spent time and time and time praying with you. And I see you living life by yourself. I see you standing up and changing the remote on the TV because you're too stubborn or you're too unbelieving or you're just too habited towards doing life without God. And I, I just love you too much. And I hope you love me enough too. Because what I see in myself is falling into this constantly. For me, it's not a habit to live life that way. But what happens is when life gets the worst, when life gets the worst thing that can possibly happen and it seems to get really, really bad in my life, I can trust God on the easy days. But when it gets really hard, there's something in me that goes, yeah, God, you got the easy stuff, but I'll take over now. I'll, I'll take care of the big stuff. You got to look at God, God just going, I was just warming up. And now you shut me off? And I think we can start to hold each other accountable. Here's where I want to go today. We're almost there. It's the best investment you'll ever make. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Um, this, is God, uh, or this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount telling people about prayer. I'm going to read it to you real quick. He says this, And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And you say, John, now isn't there a little clause in there that you can ask but you won't get it unless it's God's will, right? Isn't, isn't that the clause? Isn't that the thing Christian people say? Is that you pray and God makes the decision and sometimes he says yes and sometimes he says no. Well, here's what Jesus says. The answer is yes. I'm going to let the tension start here. Because you know the answer is not always yes when you pray, my grandmother is dying, would you save her? The answer seems to be no. But what Jesus says, when you pray, something happens to you and to the connection that you have with God. 
And what God sees is not what you see. Remember that. He says that all things come together for those who are, are in love with Jesus, those who've accepted Jesus. Now, we use that all the time when we're trying to explain something really bad that happened to somebody. For all things come together for those. But what it really means is in Revelation, we've been reali- realizing this, that in, in the end, all these things will come to fruition. And as you pray, Jesus says, things are being answered that you will never see or that you won't see while you're on earth, but someday you'll go, hey, while you're standing in heaven, hey, I prayed for that, and it just happened. That just came true. That person just came to Jesus. This whole thing just happened in his time. Check this out. Your fathers, he said, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, my children don't really like fish that well, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What Jesus says is that God is just waiting for you to ask. Now the answer might look a little different in your lifetime. But when you pray, God moves. When when Reese calls me in the middle of the night or London calls me in the middle of the night, Something I've told London forever. She's scared of the dark a little bit. She's getting a lot better with that. And she used to have a really hard time going to sleep. And I would say from the time she was a little, I don't know, three or two or three years old, I would say the same thing. Now, I would pray with her and we'd talk and I'd try to get her calmed down. And I'd say, now, if you need daddy in the night, what do you say? And she'd say, daddy! Good practice. That was two years old. Now, I still. London, if you need daddy in the middle of the night, what do you say? Daddy! still in her and the reason is because anything you know I I expect that on her wedding day don't make me think about that right now (laughs) but on her wedding day when I give her a hug and I send her off to live with her new husband did I just say that you know what I'll say London if you need me what do you say And I will come running. Now, this is more information than you need to know, but in my house, if I come running at 3 o'clock in the morning, I may be wearing a lot less than you want me to be wearing. <laughs> I did the other night, and London goes, Daddy, are those shorts? <laughs> no, honey, they're not shorts. <laughs> you call me, I'm coming running right now. I'm not even putting clothes on first. This is God for you. You call, I come running. This is his promise. Next slide. So here's what I want to do. Jesus says this, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. You've heard this. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Let's make earth heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not lead us and yield us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Here's the practical part. Get your pencils out. If you really want to move towards Jesus, next slide. If you really want to move towards this, this is what I'm committing to on tape right now. I'm going to do this every day this week, okay? And here's what I'd love for you to do. There's some of us who don't know how to do this, and you'll find this on the website. I'll post it there by Tuesday with the sermon for this week, okay, if you don't have a chance to write it down. But here's what I want us to commit to do. 15 minutes of heaven every day. 
And what I mean by 15 minutes of heaven is that I believe when you stop and you say, God, I'm putting you in charge. God, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to talk to you right now. You are stopping to say, I'm going to bring heaven to earth just for a moment. Just for a moment, okay? So I'm asking for 15 minutes. I think it'll turn into longer than that, but that's all I'm asking for. Now, in my life, it happens best when I first get up in the morning because if I wait any longer than that, I've already gone so far from God that I'm already standing up and changing the channel myself. But if I first, if it's part of my habit to get up and say, God, I'm going to give you this first, it makes a big difference. Check this out. First, the very first thing you're going to say is this. God, I'm putting you back in charge. I took over. Now you're in charge. You're the pilot. I should have never tried to take over. My steering wheel doesn't even work. You can even say some of these things directly to God, just like that. God, you are the pilot, capital P. You're in charge of my life. I'm not in charge. That's all you have to say, okay? And then secondly, say this. Get right with God, whatever that takes. God, I did this yesterday. God, I did it again. I messed up. Today, I want to start over. Now, if you're like me, you need something visual. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to have a chalkboard, and I would literally write all the things that I did that last day and really quickly hide it and then erase it before I moved on to the next part of my prayer. I love that. Whatever you need to do to get right with God, and then give God his due. Say this to God. God, all the good things that are going on right now come from you. All the good things. My daughter's face comes from you. That freedom that I feel when I'm with my kids, sometimes that peace comes from you. The good things, my house, the fact that I haven't come and taken it yet, that comes from you. All these good things come from you. Name those things to God. And then boldly ask God. And, and what I gave you is some categories. Now, some of you have been doing this for a while. You already have your own system. And this is not from the Bible. This is what I do. And this is an easy way, if you've never done it, to start to build a habit in your life. And what I do is I boldly ask for my family. I pray for my kids. Do you know that every day... I pray for London's husband. That's why it's still on the top of my tongue. I pray for him. I pray for Reese's wife. I pray for the churches that they'll end up. I pray for the colleges that they'll be in. And then I start praying for my family members. My, and some of you are on that list under my family. And when, you'll notice, if you come to me and ask me to pray, I'll tell you when I'll pray. Some of you I'll say, I'm putting you on my weekly list. If that, you're in bad shape if you're on my weekly list because I got a long one, Okay. But some of you, I'll say, I'll pray for you right now. I'll pray for you next Sunday because I can't, I can't commit to all, uh, everybody every week, but there's, there's got to be a limit. But there, that's under my family. And then I pray for our church, and I desperately pray for our church. Pray for our nation. The Bible says you pray for those. Don't, don't pray, God, I, that Obama, would you just... That's not what he's wanting. You say, God, you're in charge. Would you bless those who are in our government? Would you lead those? Would you move them to you? And would you help my heart as I think about them and pray for them? And then pray for you and pray boldly that God will do amazing things through you and in you. And then finally, you dedicate yourself. You completely dedicate yourself. Say, God, today my life belongs to you. Everything in my life belongs to you. And this is what changes your day. If you walk away from this, I'm almost done here, but you need to hear me here. If you do this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, okay, by Thursday, this doesn't come from God. This is just my prediction, okay? By Thursday, when you get to the breakfast table, your attitude will be different with your kids. You won't be grumpy because they spilled milk. You'll be able to go, oh, okay, clean it up, talk. When you get to the office and that lady who sits next to you who's always on it, you'll be a little different. You'll be a little different. And this is where we're headed. Can you commit to this this week? And don't say church isn't practical, okay? 
Because here it is. I mean, this is what I'm telling you this week. If you do this, please, if you can do this, send me a Facebook message or an email. Tell me how you're feeling by Wednesday or Thursday, okay? Um, I want to talk about it next week. Next slide. So today, band, you guys can come up. I was going to go shorter with these sermon series, but it just doesn't happen. Today, you believe that God cares. You believe that he cares enough for you. Maybe that's where you need to start with this whole thing. Come pray with me today if you don't. I'll be right back there in that corner if you have a hard time with this. Secondly, do you believe that God will do what he says he will do? Next, will you commit to 15 minutes of heaven every, every day between now and next Sunday? Hey, listen, if this thing doesn't work, if you come back here next Sunday, you come up to me and you go, hey, I did this 15 minutes a day, I gave it my whole heart, and it was awful, and you're an idiot. <laughs> I, I'll say I'm sorry. But in my experience, if you give it your all... You'll have places to grow. You'll, have, you'll start to be desperate for this. See, here's the thing. I, t- I ran into my buddy whose dad, the grumpy dad guy, I ran into him at a North American Christian convention years later. And he sa- I said, how are you doing? He said, well, my, my dad's dying. He's, he's almost had it. And it's really hard on family. And we started talking, and he said, but he's going to heaven. He's really changed in the last few years, and he's, He's found Jesus, and it's been really good. I said, you know, I have one memory of your dad. (laughs) And he laughed. And he said, was it that night he made you sleep in the garage in the sleeping bag? (laughs) I said, well, I kind of forgot about that, but I remember the television thing. I remember that, you know, he, he, uh, I remember that he wouldn't use the remote. It just wasn't a habit. He said, you know what's funny? He had one of his legs amputated about three years ago. He's used the remote sense. <laughs> See, when you have to, when you have to go to God, it becomes a habit <laughs> real quick. And I'm asking you right now to do it before then. Because here's the thing. When things get really bad in your life and you don't have the habit of doing life the way God intends for you to do, it doubles or triples how hard it is for you. The pain. But if you can build a habit when things are okay, when the mess hits the fan, you know right where to go. Be ready for amazing things in your life, in your kids' lives, in the church. Don't just trudge through. It's not what God intends. He wants heaven on earth. He's going to have it. God gets what he wants. And he's starting now. Would you be a part of it? You stand with us. I'll be right back there in that corner. If anything I said today tweaks your heart, you want to give your life to Jesus, I'd love to be a part of that today. Would you stand?